Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Raptors, your daily Toronto Raptors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, and welcome to episode 64 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, January 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and TSN Radio in Toronto. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. The show is on Twitter as well, at LockedOnRaptors, where you can find links to every single show. Locked On Raptors, as you know, is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find team-specific shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd and Locked On NBA with David Locke, all in one place on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Um, some other things to check out, of course, if you're a fan of one of the final four NFL teams, Atlanta, Green Bay, New England, Pittsburgh, uh, check out the Locked On NFL channel for all those teams. If your team is out and you're an NFL fan, Locked On NFL Draft is a big thing as well to check out. Um, and David was on an episode of True Hoop Podcast last week as well with Kevin Arnovitz, which was an awesome listen, so make sure you check that out as well on the True Hoop Network. Uh, it was a really good conversation between two really smart guys. On today's show, instead of recapping a pair of blowout wins for the Raptors, uh, you know, the game against the Nets on Friday where the Nets hit a bunch of threes and kept close through three quarters, but the Raptors blew them away in the fourth quarter with a resurgent Lowry in the bench unit that was a little, you know, tinkered around because obviously no Patrick Patterson. Uh, but with that lineup, the Raptors blew the Nets away the way that you probably expected they would, and they ended up winning that one 132-113. Um, and there was also the game on Sunday where the where the Knicks just kind of laid down and uh, let the Raptors roll over them. I guess there maybe was some sort of white Vegas hangover a little bit for them, being an afternoon game in Toronto uh, with the Knicks playing in the afternoon today for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, tough turnaround for the Knicks, and you know the first half of their back-to-back went horribly. The Raptors, you know, through the second and third quarters, just absolutely dominated the Knicks. And, uh, you know, that's just what happens when, you know, the Raptors have come across these bad teams most of the time this season. Um, So there's not really a whole lot to glean from these games. Patrick Patterson's still out. Um, That is a concern, of course, but with the schedule being pretty easy, of course, there's a back-to-back this week, but that back-to-back comes against the Nets tomorrow night and the Sixers on Wednesday. And the Sixers are playing pretty well. That's an easy game, per se, but... Uh, you know, that, that definitely is a little easier for the Raptors than what they've been dealing with over the last few weeks here. Um, so with the schedule being a little light, with a big game against Charlotte on Friday, maybe they're targeting that day to have Patrick Patterson back. I'm not really sure what the deal is there, uh, but they seem to be okay with rolling with this sort of makeshift spot at the four where they're, you know, rolling either Bebe Noguera or Norman Powell out there sometimes, depending on the matchup. Uh, that seems to be okay with Casey right now. And against these poor teams, I guess that's, you know, a fine way to go. The Raptors are talented enough overall that they can sort of work around that against, you know, lesser competition. And they don't really have another tough game. I guess the one in Charlotte Friday is a tough game. They have a game against the Spurs coming up in a couple weeks as well. But other than that, the schedule is pretty creamy right now. And this is the time, if you're the Raptors, to make sure Patrick Patterson is healthy and not dealing with anything like nagging and and sort of sticking around throughout the rest of the season. Uh, So happy to see the Raptors are going to sort of calm him down and, uh, you know, just wait about and see when he gets healthy and put him back in. So, like I said, not a whole lot to analyze from the two games over the weekend. Uh, Those two games, in addition to the game against Boston last week, are a reason why DeMar DeRozan was named Player of the Week again for the Eastern Conference, the third time he's won that this this season. Uh, So congrats to DeMar on that. Of course, today is the last day if you want to vote for players for the All-Star Game, if you want to vote Terrence Ross, hashtag NBA vote. 
go nuts. Uh, of course, Lowry and DeRozan are probably more likely, so if you want to throw a vote their way too as well, that's fine. But Terrence Ross, need your votes. Give Terrence Ross your votes, I'm telling you. Um, it's the only vote I've cast all year. Uh, obviously, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but um, yeah, this is your last day to check it to do that. If you don't do that by midnight on uh, January 16th, you're SOL and you're at the mercy of what, other, what the other fans were voting for. Um, so yeah, get your votes in if, you're, if that's the thing that you want to do. On today's show, though, uh, instead of recapping those games, as I've sort of, you know, meandered and, and rambled on about, uh, I'm going to do the second straight week on a Monday where I'm going to answer a bunch of Twitter questions because uh, it's an easy way to get some uh, sort of interesting topics into the mix because I do find sometimes with this daily show and the Raptors being so predictably good, it, we kind of run dry on topics sometimes, especially when the schedule's like this and there aren't any losses to freak out about or anything. So today, instead of analyzing the games, we're going to answer a few questions from Twitter. First question here. Comes from friend of the show, William Liu. What's the best bar around the ACC that isn't mad expensive? That's a tough one because most of the bars around the ACC are very expensive and also very terrible. Uh, don't go to Real Sports. Uh, Real Sports is a, is a terrible place where you will get fleeced for food and drinks and pay way too much money. So don't go there. Hoops is uh, less terrible but also not very good. Um, hoops, interesting. I was there for when the Maple Leafs were in the playoffs last. I was there for Game 7 when they blew that 4-1 lead. Uh, so bad memories for Hoops for me, but just in general, don't go to Hoops. It's bad. Um, there are a few other places. If you go up to Front Street, obviously, like Loose Moose, don't go to Loose Moose. It's busy and overpriced and not that good. Uh, the best, if you have to be super close to the arena, I guess the best place to go would be the Overdraft Pub, which is below, I think, Joe Badali's, which is right on Front Street, just a couple streets, a couple doors down from the Loose Moose. Um, it's the best of the sort of very close sort of, you know, uh, go-to spots for people going to games. Um, it's usually less busy, I suppose. It's sort of, I like to call it the overflow pub because when uh, the other places around there are a little full, people end up going in the overdraft and it gets a little busy, but uh, go there. Get their uh, Irish uh, Irish nachos with lattice fries instead of chips. Very good. Uh, so go to overdraft if you're around. If you want to go to a real bar, though, Firkin on King is the best bar going. They just redid the entire basement, which is less sort of cozy than it used to be. I used to love the old Firkin uh, weird basement with carpet, but it's a little better now. Uh, a little more spacious, a little more uh, inviting, I guess, if you want to go sit there before a game. Lots of TVs if you want to catch some pregame action. I don't know why you would, but uh, lots, of, lots of that as well. So Firkin on King is all I can suggest. It's a little further away from the arena. It's closer to the Rogers Center. It's easier to get to from the Blue Jays game, but give yourself some time and explore the beautiful Firkin on King, uh, where many a great time has been had uh, by many people over the course of the last little while. Um, it's where I uh, met my current roommate. Uh, it's uh, I think I've recorded a podcast in the basement of the Firkin on King before. Go to the Firkin on King. Sorry for the advertising for the Firkin on King, but go there. I got one question here from Asad Alvi. He's got a few questions that came in, but his one is one that I want to save because it's a really good question, so I'm going to save it for the end. Next one here comes from Darth Lean, at under, underscore Darth Lean underscore. What will it take for you to upgrade the T. Ross jersey? If you don't know by now, I own a Terrence Ross jersey. I exchanged a shirt that I got two of at Christmas uh, for a Terrence Ross jersey because... I don't know. I have problems. I'm not a well-balanced individual. Um, I don't need to upgrade the Terrence Ross jersey. I can always get a different one, I suppose, but I don't think it gets to a higher level than a Terrence Ross jersey. Kyle Lowry would be nice, but everyone has a Kyle Lowry jersey. 
Um, I'm going to stick with Terrence Ross. It's the ultimate sort of shirzy I think you can get. I think jerseys are funnier and, and sort of better to have when it's sort of a, an off-the-beaten-path kind of player. If you're earnestly wearing a jersey, I'm not sure like what you're doing. Like <laughs> It's sort of a weird fashion choice. I obviously, when I put the Terrence Ross jersey on, it's definitely tongue-in-cheek, and it's definitely sort of with the... You know the understanding that it's ridiculous, but uh, yeah, don't go shirzy unless it's 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 for ironic purposes. That's kind of my uh, my uh, sort of advice there. And I think Terrence Ross is in the perfect sweet spot for what a shirzy should be. Next question here. This one also comes from Assad. Which other sport would which other sport would each Raptor starter be elite at? All right. So we got Kyle Lowry. I think the obvious one for him is a is like a running back in football. He's very you know sort of you know crafty when he gets into sort of mazes of people, finds his way to the other side. Uh, he's obviously got that quote unquote bulldog mentality, if you want to say that. I think that'd be very much uh, Kyle Lowry's Beale House as being a running back. Demar Derozan, that one is tough. Uh, you know he's very accurate from long distances, so maybe he could be like a right fielder or something. Uh, you know, kind of have a cannon of an arm from deep in, in, in the outfield, and maybe he can sort of, uh, you know, lead the, the major leagues in outfield assists one season. So I'll go with that. He's got, you know, weird accuracy from long distance. Not super long distance, I guess. Maybe he's a left fielder, not a right fielder or center fielder, where it's sort of a medium distance he has to throw for most throws, and he's very accurate at doing it. So yes, DeMar DeRozan, your future left fielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're currently looking for one anyway, so maybe that's it right there. Uh, Damari Carroll. This is tough. No sport with jumping. Um, maybe no sport was just like being at. Maybe he's just like best for like bocce ball or something like that, where he doesn't need to use his knees all that often. He doesn't have to bend down or anything. He doesn't have to jump. You know, you could say volleyball or something like that, but I just don't know if that's going to be good for his knees anymore. So maybe he's graduated to bocce ball. Maybe he's a golfer. Maybe Damari Carroll, his future is as the most stylish golfer on any golf course that has ever existed. Um, yeah, I'll go with that for Damari. I'm not sh- yeah, yeah. I think you wear like a like a cool little hat, to sort of rein in his dreads, perhaps, and, and you know do something cool with that. Be creative there. Um, Damari Carroll, golfer. That's his. Uh, that's his future. Ripping up the senior PGA uh, in the town near you to come in, in the near future here. I guess he's like 20 years away from being eligible to play for the senior tour, but we can make exceptions. Next one, I guess it's tough. We don't really know who the starting four is for the Raptors right now. Um, but I guess Bebe was the most recent starter, so we'll say him, and that's definitely volleyball. He's absolutely a dude who's going to spike balls and uh, and be annoying at the net and, and block shots at the net. Uh, I think that's what you call it, block or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the, the, the volleyball lingo. I was never much of a volleyball player myself. But Bebe Noguera, he's from Brazil. It's, that's a huge sport there. I think that is a very seamless transition for Lucas Noguera. Your Raptors starting power forward. And then Jonas Valanciunas. He's absolutely going to be in the lumberjack competition, correct? Like he's going to, you know, use that weird sort of long saw to cut off logs. He's going to use the axe to cut off, you know, cut down trees. He's and and I don't know. I, the ones where he has to climb the pole might be tough because of his size. But I think anything where he's ground bound and uh, swinging some sort of axe or moving some giant saw or using a chainsaw, Jonas Valanciunas is going to kick ass at. So yeah, Jonas Valanciunas will be your uh, lumberjack champion uh, if he ever had to switch sports. Um, all right, let's get to the final question, the big one from Assad. This one, it, it kind of, you know, it has extra meaning because we've seen the Raptors go up against two teams 
that have been in the dumps a lot lately. I mean, the, the New York Knicks are less of a disaster than the Brooklyn Nets, um, but they're obviously having some really tough times with some turmoil there with their best players and bad contracts. And today, I think Derrick Rose and Courtney Lee got benched. Uh, not a great situation there in New York right now. And, you know, with that, you know, the, 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 it kind of brings back memories of what the Raptors used to be. Uh, same with the Nets. The Nets are a you know, a franchise that are listless, they have no future, they don't have any picks going forward, it's just a disaster right now for the New York, for the New, for the Brooklyn Nets, and uh, it, it kind of, you know, brings back memories of really bad Raptors eras, and uh, this question from Assad is really good, and I think I, I, I spent too much time going over who my favorite, um, here's the question, who's your favorite non-star Raptor from each era? Um, and there's sort of five eras I would divide it up into. I'm not going to go into the early 90s expansion era because I was too young. I'm a 92, so when the Raptors were first coming in, uh, I just didn't really have any sort of you know cognitive awareness. I wasn't sure who was on the team. I really became a Raptors fan in the Vince Carter era, like 99, 2000, 2000, 2001. That's sort of sweet spot there. And so we'll go with the Vince era. We'll go the post-Vince uh, peak sort of purgatory area between... Uh, you know, the, the 2001 season, I guess, where that was sort of the peak of the team. The next season was okay, uh, but I think they missed the playoffs or lost in the first round or something like that. Um, they did, I think they did lose in the first round. Anyway, uh, so we go with the, the, the first Vince era. We go with the sort of purgatory between Vince Carter's sort of downfall and the rise of Chris Bosh. We'll go with the, the peak Chris Bosh era. We'll do purgatory number two after Chris Bosh leaves. And then the new era, I will go post second Rudy Gay trade where they traded him to the uh, the Kings and got a whole bunch of pieces back that ended up you know turning the team around and the, and the Raptors became awesome from there uh, so I'll break it up into those five categories and it's kind of fun because there are a lot of guys who have played for the Raptors over 200 guys have suited up for the Raptors over the course of 20 years and it's just funny looking back the Raptors have you know they've had four straight seasons of being really good and they're on pace for their second straight 50 win season and the Raptors are still 192 games below 500 all time. And it's going to sort of give you an impression of the kind of guys that uh, I'm about to be calling out here as my favorite players from past eras of the Raptors. So let's go with the first Vince era. Uh, obviously, a lot of really lovable players in that team. You know, you had Charles Oakley and Antonio Davis. I would argue Antonio Davis at that point was like a star. Um, you had Trace McGrady, obviously, before he left. Um, it was a really sort of exciting era. There were a lot of fun Raptors. For me, though... I don't know what it was. As a young kid, I really loved Keon Clark. Keon Clark didn't play much for the Raptors. He only played 127 games over one and a half seasons for the team. Um, and he, I think he had this one game. It was against the Atlanta Hawks in March 2001. Sorry, yeah, March 2001, uh, the year he got traded to the Raptors, um, where he had this game against the Atlanta Hawks where he had 13 points, eight rebounds, and 12 blocks. And those 12 blocks, I think, really sort of altered my impression of what Keon Clark was because uh, he wasn't like this amazing, you know, unbelievable shot-blocking big man. Oh, I mean, he, in that first season with the Raptors, he averaged 2.4. But, I mean, I, that 12-block that game really sort of boosted that up. He only played 46 games with the Raptors in that season. Um, and, you know, he had some nice, you know, block numbers, of course, but... Uh, that was sort of a career high for him, that 2.4 over those 46 games. He never really reached that. He never had over two blocks a game in any season in his career. 
And so that one game that I saw early in his tenure with the Raptors really sort of altered what I thought Keon Clark was as a you know seven-year-old person watching the Raptors. I just thought Keon Clark is the greatest shot blocker of all time. And of course, Keon Clark had some uh, criminal sort of issues and is in jail right now, I believe, or maybe he just got out, but he's had some issues, of course, post-career. Um, but... Uh, you know, when he was with the Raptors, he was really good. You know, that season where he had the half season with the with the Raptors, he played 21 minutes a game, averaged 9 points, 5.4 boards. And then the season after, he started 31 games, played 81, averaged 11.3 points, 7.4 boards, uh, 1.5 blocks in uh, 27 minutes a game. And, you know, it was just a really solid center for the Raptors. And I, I, that guy really stood out to me as just an exciting, athletic sort of freak of an athlete kind of player that I really enjoyed in that sort of era. And then, of course, we move on from the Keon Clark, Vince Carter era, and we get to the post-Vince era, you know, post-trade, post-getting Eric Williams and Aaron Williams and the uh, the idea of Alonzo Mourning for Vince Carter. And uh, those were some dark years. Kevin O'Neill was the coach for a season. Um, Jalen Rose was, like, the best player on the team for a while there. Uh, Danielle Marshall had a nice year in there, but it was just it was a rough time to be a Raptors fan. And for me... I have this sort of irrational thing with this one player who played five games for the team. And if you listen to the headquarters, the weekly podcast for Raptors HQ, you know who I'm talking about because I've talked about this guy a lot. Omar Cook was this random point guard who played five games for the Raptors in the 0405 season, closed that season out with the Raptors, and it was just, it was the weirdest thing. He had like two games, mostly pretty much just one game actually, and it was the last game of the season that year against the Cleveland Cavaliers where he had 19 points and 9 assists, 9 of 14 from the field, and of course, I know, what am I, like 12 at this point, I was really excited by this game that Omar Cook had to close the season out. The Raptors had been so bad that season. Uh, I believe, what was their record in that that year? 2004-2005. Uh, it, was, it was really bad. I know that for sure. Um, I think it was the year where they ended up drafting Charlie Villanueva in the following year. Um, yeah, they, they went 33-49 and 49 that season, and it was ugly. And Omar Cook was just sort of this bright light at the end of the season, uh, you know, of a season that I kind of forgot mostly to memory. Uh, but the sort of the, the, the Omar Cook game where, you I mean, the other two games, the four games he played, he scored four total points. He had a one tennis assist game, which was kind of nice, the, the game before the final game of the season. But, um, yeah, I don't know what it was about Omar Cook. He was the best player in that game for the Raptors to close out that season. And uh, that gave me some hope for the year, the following season. And, of course, he didn't play the following season. I think that was the year Jose Calderon came in and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, took over that mantle for the Raptors. But... Uh, I really liked uh, really liked me some Omar Cook in those five games, or mostly just that one game, and that was kind of indicative of that era of the Raptors. It was just bad and ugly and not fun at all, and Omar Cook was just this tiny glimmer of hope that never panned out to be anything. Moving on to the Chris Bosh era, it, I, I was looking back at this roster from like 2006-2007 team. It's kind of the peak Raptors team of that era where they went 47 and 35. Sam Mitchell won coach of the year. It was a really fun season. The Raptors came third in the East, lost in the first round, but you really felt some sort of positive momentum going. Um, but you look back at that roster, it wasn't an overly likable roster, really. Um, you know, there weren't a ton of guys on there that were just like fan favorites, like second round drafted big men who were exciting. I mean, Toronto has this weird thing with second round big men who were a lot of fun, and I'll get to one of them in a second. But uh, my favorite player from this era. And the guy who kind of got a raw shake, I think, because he ended up losing his starting job in his second season, 
P.J. Ford was really good for the Raptors for, for a time there. In 2006-2007, he played 75 games. He scored 14 points a game, 8 assists a game. Um, you know, wasn't a great shooter at all. He was 43% from the field, 30% from three. But, he, you know, there was this conversation about T.J. Ford that, like, you know, this guy might be the fastest player in the NBA. And he kind of was. He was awesome. He was just, um, you know, he was a lot of fun. He was entertaining as hell to watch. Him and Chris Bosh had a nice thing going. Of course, he was like the first guy to lose his job to Jose Calderon, and Jose Calderon held on, held on to that job for like five years before Kyle Lowry eventually took it over after he was traded for uh, for Rudy Gay to Memphis. But it was, uh, you know, TJ Ford was was always a guy that I kind of thought got a raw deal. I wasn't a huge Calderon fan when he first came over because, you know, I was a dumb, you know, teenage fan. Oh, I've never heard of this guy before. Who's this guy from Spain? I've heard of TJ Ford before. Why isn't TJ Ford our point guard? And, uh, you know, Ford was really good, and I kind of had this irrational sort of love for him. And I think, you know, there's a really bad back injury for him that ended his sort of, you know, peak career. Um, he, had, he had a nice year with Indiana the year after he left the Raptors, but, you know, it was just uh, you know, it was just kind of a weird downward spiral, downward spiral for TJ Ford, and I think the injuries kind of caught up to him, and he never really uh, panned out. And the sort of the, the year he had with the Raptors, aside from that Pacers year, I suppose, really was his best season of his career. And, uh... It was uh he was a big part of that you know forty seven win team that kind of got me back into loving the Raptors because the years before were so bad and so dark and depressing and you know it was so sad to lose Vince Carter the way the Raptors lost them you know my fandom kind of waned for a little bit there and uh, T J Ford was you know a nice non starter really sort of pair with Chris Bosh and and be excited about moving on to the Purgatory two the post-Chris Bosh era, which almost was worse than the post-Vince Carter era for me because it felt so long. And most of it happened while I was at, at university and I wasn't really as in, absorbed in the team as I, as I was before or after. Um, you know, the, the second Rudy Gage, sorry, the first Rudy Gage raid where uh, the Raptors got Rudy Gay from Memphis was really what got me back into liking the Raptors and caring about the Raptors the way I do uh, and the way I you know, follow them now. Um, but a guy who was always great, and this is not a controversial pick whatsoever, Amir Johnson was so great in that purgatory era where the Raptors stunk and it was just, uh, you know, a depressing mess of, uh, you know, Ben Uzos and Linus Klezas and just very depressing players all throughout the, that time. And, uh, you know, Amir Johnson was always a steadying force. He was part of... You know, the, the rebound, too, as well in 2013-14 and 14-15, although he didn't play as well in 14-15. He, you know, he was this plus-minus monster self, but he was injured and just sort of banged up. It looked like every time he fell to the ground or he looked like his ankles were going to shatter. But that 13-14 season, he was great. He had a fantastic game in the, uh, in the playoffs against Brooklyn. I think it was Game 7 where he sort of led the comeback the Raptors made in that game. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but that, you know, sort of was the last part of him, you know, the, the main part of Amir Johnson with the Raptors was during that post-Bosch purgatory era where he was the new power forward and he did a really admirable job of filling in for what Chris Bosch left behind. Uh, so yeah, Amir Johnson, fan favorite of everybody. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that I pick him there. Um, but he was, uh, he was a lot of fun there for a while and, uh, you know, it, it pains me that he's on Boston now, but eh, the, the, the Celtics are lucky to have him. And then we go... To my favorite non-star of the current era, the, the post-Rudy Gay trade, the post-Raptors being good trade, of course it's Terrence Ross. Like, why is this even a question? Why would this even brought up as an era where there's even debate, a debate? 
There's not. It's Terrence Ross. He's my favorite player of the era. He, especially this season, has really sort of turned into an ultimate gunner. He is, you know, scoring at a uh, a career best per 36 rate. He's taking more field goals attempt field goal attempts per 36. He's uh, he's shooting a really good percentage from three, although he's been kind of cold this month. But still, he's 38% on the season, um, and he's just he doesn't seem to care. He's going all out, and he's really you know embracing the six man role. And it's been a lot of fun to watch in the games where he gets hot. There's no player who looks cooler on the court than Terrence Ross, whether he's throwing down 360 dunks or windmill dunks or just like doing his awesome sort of you know step to the left you know pull up jumpers from the mid range. He makes everything look so cool. He had this play on Friday against the Nets where he sort of crossed up a dude and pulled up for a mid range jumper and it just looked awesome. And the idea of Terrence Ross is is so wonderful. Of course, he had that game in 2013-14 uh, where he scored 51 against the Lakers uh, against the Clippers at home in a loss, but it was just. That game was just so absurd to watch. The stat line from that game, let's revisit that game. You played the, uh, obviously played the Clippers, the Raptors lost, but Terrence Ross played 44 minutes, scored 51 points, had 9 boards, 1 assist, 1 steal, on 16 of 29 shooting and 10 of 17 from the field. Why Terrence Ross was taking 29 shots in a game, I have no idea, but it was awesome. It was so fun, so efficient of two, like... 51 points on 29 shots like what is even happening um and that is sort of the the, sort of the origin point for my love of terrence ross and my unabashed support of him there are people there have been people who don't like terrence ross who have complained over the years that he disappears in the playoffs or doesn't you know it isn't really you know cutting it out as an eighth overall pick it's fine man (laughs) like no one is good no one's guaranteed to be good at the eighth overall pick anyway you know, former eighth overall picks include like people like Joe Alexander. It happens. Eight overall picks can be busts, and the and the Raptors. I think with Terrence Ross, I found a nice six man, and he's really sort of come into his role this season. So Terrence Ross is my favorite player of the post favorite favorite non star, of course, of the post uh, Rudy Gay trade era, the post you know sucking era for the Raptors. Awesome question from Assad. If you have your suggestions, send them in. Uh, even if you're a fan from earlier, send in your '90s, you know, expansion era fandom and, and your in your favorite non-stars. You know, we can we can extend it out to six eras. We can do that era. We can do the Vince era. We can do the post Vince. We can do the rise of Bosch. We can do Purgatory number two, and we can do post Rudy Gay. If you want to send in your your responses and you're listening to it now, uh, please feel free to tweet me at Woodley Sean. Tweet at Locked On Raptors. We really appreciate that. Thanks to Assad for such an awesome question that really made me do too much research and looking back at certain guys. There were some debates that I had with myself uh, about some of those guys, but um, please uh, go back and look yourself and uh, you know find out who your favorite player from each Raptors era is. It's kind of a fun exercise, um, so do that. Would really appreciate that. Of course. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. We're going to be back tomorrow. We'll preview the game, uh, the second game against the, the Brooklyn Nets in two days. Uh, if you haven't listened to the, the podcast from Friday with James Herbert, check that one out. We talk about the Nets there, so it can sort of serve as a preview, of course, of the of the second game with the Nets because, you know what, we didn't really get into focus, like the specifics of the game, just sort of talked more existentially about what the Nets are and sort of their future and if they have any sort of reason to be hopeful if you're a fan of that team. Uh, so please check that out. We'll be back again, of course, tomorrow. We'll be back Wednesday to preview the Sixers game. We'll have lots of stuff this week for you to check out. Hope you enjoyed last week's uh, shows where I had more guests than usual. I kind of like to uh, get the guests on. I like the ones where we preview games and sort of talk more broadly about the teams involved instead of getting into the X's and O's of each game. But, uh, you know, if you like those, if you want to hear more X's and O's about each game, feel free to let me know too. and We can get into that, that more. 
Always open for feedback uh, at Woodley Sean, at Lockdown Raptors, LockdownRaptors at gmail.com, all those places. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll be back again tomorrow with episode 65, and uh, have a great night.